It is time for our midday program here on KRVN, brought to you by Devaney Motors. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Scott in here with you, along with, uh, well, we have uh, a, a somewhat of a different cast today. And uh, Dave Schroeder's in here. Along, there's Dave. And uh, we got uh, Brandon Bennett's in here also. I'm only here so I don't get fined. Well, okay. And... <laughs> This Marshawn Lynch moment brought to you by. <laughs> that was very nice. Yes, and you. uh uh you're here for other reasons. And we also have Susan Littlefield here too. And uh Susan, since you're the the crusty veteran here, uh Ooh. we'll we'll let you uh bring uh that's a nice thing. You're a veteran. That's okay. Okay. Brandon's giving me faces. It's okay. I am standing up for you, sister. Wow. No, there was nothing Crusty. Anyway. Yeah. Crusty's good. Oh. That's that's <laughs> <laughs> okay, forget. Let's just uh, let's get back into where we are. We're, we're digressing. So, wh- how are you today, Susan? <laughs> Soggy. I got oh. woke up this morning by um, the windows of the hotel room rattling because of a thunderstorm oh. moving through Manhattan, and it is continuing to rain here, which means the combines I saw between my place and here yesterday probably aren't doing yeah, much today. Probably not. And this obviously for a lot of farmers, this will be a big push today before weather rolls in tomorrow so hopefully hopefully we won't get a whole lot of precipitation and they can start back up pretty quickly very much so what do you got for us today well coming on we're gonna kick it off at twelve nineteen. clay's gonna step in speaking of the weather what you need to know about the uh storms your cattle and their health hmm. so we'll get more of an update a kind of a preparation as we head into all of that then at twelve forty-five. Something we don't want to talk about, but we need to talk about, and that's corn rootworms. Uh, Troy Bauer with BASF and I had this conversation. I learned, and I don't know if you know this, corn rootworms can lay over two plus years in the soil before they hatch. That's, Keep that in mind. That just seems wrong. Holy cow. I know. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't either. So we'll find out more about that, what you can do to focus on it for 2020. And then at 117. The Eider Institute is taking place today at Innovation Campus, and Bryce will get us up to speed on everything happening there. All right. Very good. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. Thank you. Turn it over to Brandon Bennett's now and uh, Coach Squires and that uh, UNK volleyball team. They're kind of good. Just keep rolling on yeah. along. Undefeated so far. Last weekend beat the number 13 ranked and then the number 10 ranked team in the nation, both at their respective places. Then last night a crowd of almost 1,995, so we'll round up. Sure. Saw a three-set sweep. Lopers over the Fort Hayes State Tigers. And speaking of Fort Hayes State, their women's basketball team was picked to win the conference championship again. Lady Tigers did it last year, made a decent run in the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, people always talk about how tough the MIAA conference is across the board. The team that's picked number two on the women's side is Central Missouri, who won the national championship two years ago. So you either have the defending conference champions pick number one, or two years ago's national champions pick number two on the women's side. We'll hear from head coach Carrie Amy about her media day experience, and uh, she was just down in Kansas City, just got off the podium here just not too long ago. And of course, district softball later today, we'll have that on Cami. Okay, lots of stuff going on. We turn it over to Dave Schroeder quickly for some business. Well, if you're in California, millions of residents there woke up today in the dark after Pacific Gas and Electric started shutting off power to prevent what the utility called an unprecedented wildfire danger. Also, uh, stocks are uh, uh, building up today, opening broadly higher. All right, very good. That's all coming up on mid. Well, it's time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And 
Uh, as we take a look at the maps right now, we have some clouds in the southeastern part of the state and clouds in the northwest. And, of course, that northwest is the area that is expected to get hit hardest by what they're now calling Winter Storm Aubrey. Now, you go north of that in the Dakotas, it's going to be much worse, but they are talking about some snow uh, in the northwestern part. Also, some in the northeastern part around here in central Nebraska and Kansas and north, northeastern Colorado. We're not expected more than just a dusting, but temperatures will be cold. Ahead of a low, pres- low pressure and a cold front, today will be breezy and seasonably mild with a sun and cloud mix right now. It's uh, it's pretty nice. How about fair, I think, is what we would call that. Uh, rain and thunderstorm chances increase in the northwest to southeast tonight as low pressure and the strong cold front pushes to the east. Strong north winds behind the front will usher in bitterly cold air. Temperatures most of tomorrow will be steady or dropping. So what we get in the morning will probably be the nicest we have of the day. Tomorrow, snow is likely across northwest areas of Nebraska. Drizzle, light rain, and a wintry mix will be possible elsewhere. The light, the light precipitation switches over to light snow tomorrow night in most areas while snow continues in northwest Nebraska. Most snow accumulations will range from a dusting to less than half of an inch. And, of course, with the warm uh, ground. It's not going to stick around very long. One to two inches of snow will be possible in north central Nebraska. Three to eight inches of, uh, of snow mostly in northwest Nebraska. Wind chills Friday morning will be as low as the upper single digits and some low teens along there. Wow. Behind this system, it'll be mainly dry with a gradual return to near seasonal temperatures. In the Long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas will be seasonal to slightly cooler than normal, though over the early half of next week, temperatures are likely to be seasonal to slightly warmer than normal late next week through October 22nd. Below normal rainfall is predicted in the early half of next week for Nebraska and Kansas. In a change in the latest long-term forecast, slightly above normal rainfall is in the forecast late next week through the 22nd. And now key, we- key weather factors impacting the markets include the potential for crop damage from a winter storm in the central U.S. and scattered rain across Brazil. Late today and early tomorrow, low pressure will cross the central Rockies and central plains. Friday and Saturday, the storm will stall in northern Minnesota, leading to a prolonged period of wind-driven snow across the northern plains and far upper Midwest. In the storm's wake, weekend freezes can be expected along and northwest of a line from the Texas northern panhandle to southeastern Wisconsin, effectively ending the growing season. In the western Midwest, the season-ending freeze late this week will damage immature crops. Northwest areas of the Midwest will have moderate to locally heavy rain and some snow along with the cold. The eastern Midwest will have light rain but largely avoid cold temperatures. Crop damage is also likely in the northern plains due to heavy snow and strong winds. The Brazil soybean planting is off to its slowest start in six years. Planting is likely to remain slow during uh, due to minimal rain. And that's a quick look at our weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And uh, so we'll just keep an eye on We do have 
snowfall forecast maps on our Facebook page. So if you want to get an idea, maybe if you're traveling to the north and you want to get an idea of uh, what to avoid and when to avoid, you can go in there. Otherwise, just keep listening here to krvn.com. And if you want to check in on your latest weather, you just go right there, krvn.com. the winter storm starts to approach the midwest what should cattle producers livestock producers be thinking about ahead of that for care of their livestock this question we center around here on the rural radio network i'm clay Patton. answering those critical questions is overton veterinary service dr jared wallahoski and dr wallahoski we do appreciate your time today as this early fall storm starts to approach on us part of the state is going to see snow part of the snow is going to see a snow rain mix and then that cold rain there's going to be a lot of winds our first frost of the year with a possible killing freeze for plants so what are the primary health concerns we need to be looking at for not only our mature cows but our calves whether they're weaned or still on the cow i think the big thing is going to be the drastic change in the last 10 days from relatively hot above average temperatures for this time of year to a snow rain ice event and stream change that that's going to stress cows out. The big thing is just going to be making sure you've got your cows somewhere where they can be protected out of the wind if at all possible. Most cows are still on grass, so there are some limitations there, but anything you can do to give those cows some protection is going to be beneficial until we see what the storm does. The temperature swings do look to be rather large with this. Even out in like eastern Colorado, they had highs yesterday near the 80s where they could see lows into tonight well down into the, the mid-20s. So you're talking 60 to 70 degree ranges. Does this put a lot of stress on the, on cattle health and, and does it d- increase the likelihood of catching disease or uh, just a general sickness? Temperature swings we see this time of year typically are generally hard on calves through this weaning process time of year a storm like this is going to really bring that home that you know just the major change and the stress on their system especially if you're in the middle of weaning calves added stress that that's going to cause i know we don't know what this storm will actually hold for us right now we're looking at a lot of predictions and won't know till it's out and through but are there things that cattle producers should be getting on hand right now to potentially treat sick calves if this storm does come in like they're predicting it could I think the big thing is take advantage of the time you've got before the storm to really get an eye on on your cattle so that you know if you've got anything that looks off, get those pulled off and treated ahead of time. When you get into the storm event, it's pretty hard to evaluate those until it goes through. So know, know what issues you're facing ahead of time. Certainly be prepared if you're in an area where it's hard to get around. Have some type of long-acting antibiotic on hand so that if you do have to treat something through the storm that you have that available to you. Another thing is to keep track of the calves that you do treat. Typically, a lot of calves are going to go right off a mom to the sale barn, and so being able to identify those that have been treated for the next level uh, in terms of antibiotic stewardship I think is important. When we're looking at illnesses, obviously having a good idea of where your cattle stand health-wise right now is also good. But is this a time where if you are weaning, is this a good time if they're preconditioned? Is that going to help with these type of stressful weather events on the horizon? Or is there anything else that producers can do to head off illness early in the fall season before we get to this cold, these cold streaks and winter storms? Certainly if you've had a chance to get a round of pre-weaning vaccination into those calves, they're going to be better set up for an event like this as opposed to a calf that hasn't had those. The other critical thing is to make sure that you've still got trace minerals available to both cows and calves. You don't want those to run out in a time like this when you're seeing additional stress on those calves 
just make sure that that's available to them all the time. Again, Dr. Jared Wallahoski, Overton Veterinary Service. Dr. Wallahoski, we thank you for your time and your great information on this important subject. When you want the latest in ag news and market information, follow, like, and listen to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports. Brandon Bennett's in here as Jason is out broadcasting district softball. Good good afternoon. Brandon. It is now after afternoon. I can't it believe it's afternoon already. It doesn't feel Holy right. cow. Yeah. Ten different players registered to kill the number three ranked team in the nation, University of Nebraska. Kearney volleyball team sweep Fort Hayes State last night at the Health of Sports Center at Kearney. A crowd of almost 1,000, 995, that's close enough. Watch the Lopers now 16-0, improved to 92-9. All-time against the rival, Fort Hayes State Tigers. The MIAA released their 2019-2020 men's and women's basketball preseason media and coaches polls earlier today. That's in conjunction with Media Day currently underway. The second annual event was held at the College Basketball Experience in downtown Kansas City. The women for the Lopers returned virtually their entire roster, plus out of graduate transfer and a couple of freshmen. Loper women were tabbed six in both polls, and head coach Carrie Amy offers her thoughts coming into this year. We are excited about the year. We've had a really good preseason. We return eight players that played significant minutes last year, so we're really excited about being able to have some experience this year. I feel like we've addressed some of our depth issues, and I feel like we've improved in that area. We've brought in four freshmen that uh, we feel like are going to be able to contribute, along with a grad transfer point guard that we feel like gives us more experience at that position. Practice for the Lopers begins this coming Monday, October 14th. Women start the year the weekend of November 8th and 9th when they host their second annual UNK crossover tournament. Cozad plays at 2 p.m. against either Ord or Chase County. We'll bring you that game on Cami Country Legends. The Haymakers finish the regular season at 20 wins and 6 losses, and head coach Ashley Ford says Cozad's depth has been a real plus. You know, I think up and down the lineup, we are pretty pretty consistent, and I think that's what helps us in the long run is I know if you some teams you get past, you know, three, four, five, and, you know, it seems to be out, outs that people can get, but I think that we're pretty tough all the way through the lineup, and I think that definitely is in our favor. And again, you'll be able to hear that game. Jason will bring that game to you 2 p.m. over on our sister station, Cami Country Legends. And a pair of winner-take-all game fives will decide tonight in two NL Division Series. First, the Atlanta Braves host the St. Louis Cardinals, then the Washington Nationals at the Los Angeles Dodgers. Winners meet in the best-of-seven NL Championship Series that begins on Friday. I love the winner take all in baseball. That's 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 awesome. They should do that more often. I, I know you shouldn't have to play five games or seven games to get there. People don't like the wild card game, but you got to admit your first two or three games of a best of seven really doesn't mean a whole lot. No. I would be okay with a best of three at the most, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. let's play the games. Let's make them meaningful. Because you can still lose the first two and come back on best of seven. Right. doesn't mean a whole lot. I, I agree with you. And the, by the way, those wild card games are great. They are, aren't they? They really are good. Because it is do or die, and yep. that's exactly what it should be. Absolutely. Have a good day, brother. All right. Thank you, Brandon. Well, time for us to take a look at news, and uh, Dave Schroeder in here. Dave, there was uh, somebody accidentally cut a line they weren't supposed to yesterday in Gosper County, didn't they? Yes. Well, <laughs> uh, what I'm getting uh, from a couple of different uh, sources, and we'll get a uh, story up and so forth, but uh, apparently they had cut some uh, fiber optic cable a couple of months ago north of Elwood oh. during that highway construction, and 
Well, apparently uh, the temporary fix was above ground, and it got cut again yesterday. Oh, so okay. about over 700 landline telephone customers affected by that. So, wow. Yes. That was a big one. All yes, right. it was. Okay. Two tribal leaders have resigned from a Montana task force in protest of the uh, Montana Attorney General support of a proposed oil pipeline from Canada. Montana Department of Justice spokesman John Barnes confirmed that Justin Dupree of Fort Peck and Brandy King of Fort Belknap stepped down from the Missing Indigenous Persons Task Force. Montana lawmakers authorized Attorney General Tim Fox to create the 11-member panel to better report and find missing Native Americans. On Monday, Fox intervened in a lawsuit in support of constructing the Keystone XL pipeline from Alberta's tar sands, Dupree wrote in a Facebook post that his tribe opposes the pipeline, and Fox's intervention is a slap in the face. Barnes says the resignations are, depo- are disappointing, and officials will ask the tribal governments to recommend replacements. The Montana Free Press first reported the resignations. The company working to build a mine in southeast Nebraska to extract a rare heat-resistant element says the project qualified for up to $200 million in state tax incentives. NICOR Development said it signed a contract with Nebraska for tax incentives on the proposed Niobium mine near Elk Creek. The project is expected to create over 400 jobs and require more than $1 billion in construction costs. NICOR says the incentives would lower its operating costs in the first 10 years of the mine's operation. The company, though, is working to raise enough money to move forward with the project. The state attorney general's office has filed two more charges against the top prosecutor in Nebraska's Custer County, uh, alleging that he engaged in fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation to a court in a man's case. Court records show that Custer County Attorney Stephen Bowers already was charged with official misconduct. The new charges are obstructing government operations and oppression under the color of office. Bowers and his attorney have declined comment. That's a check of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder. All right. Thanks, Dave. Corn rootworms. We're going to start seeing a lot more of them, unfortunately. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Troy Bauer is a BASF field technical representative. He and I spoke about these adult corn rootworm beetles and the sightings and what we can do to help prevent starting for 2020. Yeah, absolutely, Susan. Uh, uh, corn rootworm beetles uh, are always problematic. Actually, corn rootworms are always problematic, and uh, it seems like this past year was more troublesome than ever. And uh, growers know that all corn uh, rootworm beetles generally emerge above ground in uh, July uh, August, uh, sometimes as late as September uh, anymore. And they can be found in corn fields uh, uh, generally in that August, September time period. Uh, with corn rootworm, uh, the insect consists of really one generation per year. Uh, the females emerge and then they lay eggs in the corn fields uh, before uh, winter approaches. Uh, those eggs then overwinter and hatch the following year. And it's the larvae that really cause problems as they feed on the roots uh, and the corn, causing reduced uh, nutrient uptake, increased lodging potential, and uh, when the the plants lodge, they can't uh, uh, 
maximize their photosynthesis, and then uh, you all, of course, have that difficulty at harvest time. So sometimes when you get a lot of adult beetles out there, they can feed on silks as well and reduce pollination and further cause uh, reduced yields for growers. So it's a very problematic pest. Is there anything that they can do now? Let's say they've got that fe- the corn harvested out of the field. Is there something they can do now to help with the spring of 2020? Yeah, great question, Susan. Really not at this point. Uh, growers really need to take a step back and plan for the uh, following year based on what they've seen this year. And uh, maybe just thinking about corn rootworms a little bit. Uh, corn rootworm in corn has long been a challenge. Uh, we estimate the western corn rootworm uh, uh, cost growers about a billion a year in annual loss and in control expenditures. Uh, we've used insecticides to control rootworms since the late 40s, and as early in the late as uh, the late 50s, we found resistance to uh, uh, several insecticides throughout the Midwest, uh, including Nebraska and Kansas and other parts of uh, the country. Uh, as a result, growers adopted uh, kind of an adult management uh, approach to reduce egg laying, and so they would rely on on uh, foliar insecticides to, to uh, control the beetles, and uh, the beetles develop resistance to that strategy. So one common cultural practice that a lot of growers think about is rotation. And so as they think about next year, and if they had significant uh, corn rootworm pressure in their field, they may want to think about rotation. Uh, for at least one year to get away from corn. Uh, but the difficulty with that is in certain geographies, corn rootworm has developed uh, a strategy to overcome that by laying eggs either in soybean fields, which is generally thought of further east in the Illinois area. Uh, but uh, the northern corn rootworm actually, makes, uh, they developed a strategy where the eggs didn't hatch the next year after they were laid. They may hatch two, three, or more years after that. And so they refer that uh, as extended diapause. And uh, so you can still get uh, sometimes uh, corn rootworm pressure when you rotate. So, so then you go to the BT crops uh, where we've had uh, the Cry 3 BBs or the Cry 34, 35s, and they've developed uh, resistance to that as well. So you can see that, you know, corn rootworms adopted a lot of strategies to overcome uh, our control practices for them. Has the weather that we've dealt with throughout the Midwest, Troy, had any factor playing into the, the increase and, and the potential for that jump next year? That's a good question, Susan. Uh, as I think about that, generally heavy rains when the uh, larvae are hatching, if you can get a waterlogged soil uh, for an extended amount of time and the soils turn anaerobic, that will kill the larvae, but uh, only to a certain degree. It won't uh, kill all their larvae. But usually we don't get the heavy rains when they're hatching. Uh, and it just seems like the corn rootworm have adapted a strategy where they hatch over a longer period of time, and you'll see those uh, adult beetles uh, later in the season. And that has just become, they've just become very difficult to control. Because that difficulty is there, Troy, is there something working in the pipeline that will be there, maybe not next year, but down the road that will help? to curtail this? I mean, you're saying that some of these are wintering over many winters before hatching. So will there be a product that's going to be available down the road for producers? So I think the biggest thing is uh, growers need to think about what they can do. Uh, 
And so they need to scout their fields throughout the year, determine the amount of root feeding present, as well as the level of corn rootworm adults flying around in their fields, to really think about the management strategies for the following year if they're going to grow corn. As I said, rotation is probably the biggest thing that we need to think about, uh, and uh, just to get away and uh, kind of break that cycle. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing. And then they need to start thinking about if they're going to grow corn on corn, uh, they need to use an in-plant uh, uh, corn rootworm control. That's my conversation with BASF's Troy Bauer. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at business and how uh, money's going around the world right now. Uh, if we take a look at the overnights, the Japanese Nikkei was down 130 points. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong down 137. The FTSE in London was also down 31. The bright spot was the German DAX index up 124 points. Now, all of that bad news to tell you the good news here in the United States. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 205 points. The NASDAQ up 86. And the S&P was up, is up 28. We turn it over to Dave Schroeder for more. Well, that's right, Scott. And technology companies, including Apple, Google, and Microsoft, and banks, are uh, leading uh, stocks broadly higher today in midday trading, putting the market on track for its first gain this week. Uh, the gains today come as the latest round of talks on trade resume between the U.S. and China. Bloomberg News reports that China was open to accepting a partial trade deal. Bond prices fell. The yield on the 10-year Treasury rose to 1.57%. Uh, in the Nebraska, the NIOCOR Corporation says they're working to build a mine in southeast Nebraska to extract a rare heat-resistant element, and they say that that project is now qualified for up to $200 million in state tax incentives. The corporation said it signed a contract for tax incentives on the proposed Niobium mine near Elk Creek, the project is expected to create over 400 jobs and require more than a billion dollars in construction costs. Currently, the U.S. imports nearly all of the niobium that's used in the country to harden steel and make it more heat-resistant for industrial uses. Niacorp is based in Centennial, Colorado. And then also, millions of people in California woke up in the dark today after PG&E started shutting off power to prevent what the utility called an unprecedented wildfire danger. You know, there's a love-hate relationship between Californians and PG&E. I, yes. I can remember uh, seeing bumper stickers in San Diego that said, uh, Welcome to California, owned and operated by SDPG&E. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there is that the relationship. All right, thank you so much, Dave. Pat Hirsch of Red Cloud is the big winner of the Bringing It Home Ram Pickup. Well, thank you very much. Uh, this was a good break. We needed needed a little break, and this, this right here definitely works. Relive all the fun at KRVN.com. Thanks to all the sponsors. Uh, I'm very grateful to everybody that chipped in and made this possible. I mean, this... This, this is awesome. This, this is really, really awesome. Thanks to everyone who registered this summer and be listening for more chances to win on KRVN. An opportunity to hear what's on the horizon for international trade. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Ready Network. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. The Clayton Yider Institute of International Trade and Finance at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, in cooperation with the Nebraska Farm Bureau, will be hosting an event tomorrow which will update participants on the latest in trade. 
Steve Nelson, president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau, says it's important to be part of the discussion on an issue which affects many people in the state. Certainly a very timely uh, setting here to, to have discussions and hear about a lot of things from a lot of uh, experts uh, in the area of trade as we look forward to, to uh, continuing to grow and expand trade around the world. Those experts will cover a variety of topics. Jill O'Donnell, director of the Clayton Yider Institute of International Trade and Finance, say they each have a wealth of knowledge in trade. John Weeks is one of them. He served as Canada's first ambassador to the World Trade Organization, and he'll remind us why this organization was created, what challenges it faces now, and what the differing views are regarding how to move forward addressing some of those challenges. We'll have a keynote address from Edward Alden, who is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations analyzing trade issues. He's also worked previously as a journalist for the Financial Times, and so he's observed trade policy making really up close over the years and thought a lot about it, written a lot about it, and his keynote is titled, What's Next in U.S. Trade Policy? Is Uncertainty the Only Certainty? Uh, so he'll cover a lot of ground there. We also have Zippy Duval, the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, to give closing remarks um, in a, in, at the end of our conference, and he'll be sharing his perspective on trade and what it means for agriculture. And I'd also like to mention um, Dr. Ed Balistrieri, an economist at Iowa State University, who's going to discuss some research results that he'll be presenting for the first time at this conference uh, about the estimated economic impacts of retaliatory tariffs on Nebraska's economy. And a couple other unique features of our conference um, will include a trade primer, um, which will occur at the opening of the conference. It's called 10 Things to Know About Trade, and this is where we'll have a law professor and an economics professor who are both associated with the Yeter Institute give the audience a briefing on key trade concepts uh, to serve as a great baseline for delving into further discussion during the subsequent panels later that day. And then we'll also have a student panel where three University of Nebraska-Lincoln students will interview Ambassador Darcy Vetter, a Nebraska native who served as U.S. Chief Agricultural Negotiator. Um, given her experience, they're going to be asking her questions about what kinds of approaches might be useful in addressing various challenges in trade policy today. And They'll also be asking her what kinds of challenges arise when negotiating trade agreements on agriculture specifically. So we think we have a lot of great uh, speakers and some unique features to this conference. She encourages anyone with an interest in trade to join the conference online. Absolutely. Anyone interested in tuning in live to this conference can do so via the Yider Institute website. The whole conference will be live streamed and accessible from our website. Uh, that site is yider-institute.unl.edu. So yider is y-e-u-t-t-e-r-institute.unl.edu. The Institute is the vision of trade expert and Nebraska native Clayton Yider. The staff works to connect academic disciplines related to law, business, and agriculture. Jill says the creation of the Institute has been timely. An institute like this, I think, can do a lot to, to serve the public in parsing through a lot of issues that are playing out right now. Tomorrow's conference will kick off at 8.30 in the morning. Again, to learn more, you can visit yider-institute.unl.edu. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Grain markets today ended mixed with Kansas City wheat and soybeans higher and just a little bit lower on corn and Chicago and Minneapolis wheat. 
Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. He is also publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. You notice something today that Kansas City Wheat didn't bring corn higher. Why? Yeah, well, it did air in the morning. You know, when we got up there to that 397 level, uh, KC Wheat was on its high. I think it's just some balancing and spreading. Uh, wheat was higher in general uh, across the board. I guess the Minneapolis down a penny, Chicago up a penny. Um, but KC, I think, just has more short coverings. So that's why possibly you got that going on. You got some harvest pressure starting to set in here as well with corn. And that's where I, I think I'm off the bus here. I, you know, thinking. 395 would be enough if you've been waiting to sell this thing. I know there's a lot of problems out there. Those problems might not get exposed to the supply side right away. It, you know, how much grain is lost from this this uh, this storm? That'll be a question. You know, is demand going to get adjusted lower tomorrow? Uh, what is the deal with the China China situation? I mean, there's 15 different balls in the air right now, and I think given that we've rallied essentially 50 cents off where we where we delivered September in a little over a month. Uh, I think you got to take some off the table here, whether that you're using put options or just making cash sales. Uh, you know, short term, I don't think the base is going to move much. Long run, possibility there, but uh, I think three ninety five, four dollars. If I'd ask a lot of folks what they were going to do if we got here the last time we were down at the three fifty level, I think they would have moved to price it. So uh, I think both corn and beans have hit some levels here. They're going to be tough to crack, at least in the near term, without a surprise tomorrow. Well, okay, you have the report tomorrow. There's too much of a guessing game, isn't there? It's it's. Everything's a guess right now, and it's it's the the ranges are really wide on soybeans, and then in corn it's really narrow, and that almost scares me more. I think producers are, I think the end end side of it's kind of chasing the the USDA's tail, so to speak. They're guessing what the USDA is going to say, and not what they think the crop is, and that that can be a tough tough thing for me because long term, you know, we saw in that last report we just got that that's where the the exposure could be. So. You know, this is just the start of all of this uncertainty. Once we get out of the ground and we have a harvest number, it doesn't mean anything's going to change. I think these quarterly numbers come out. They're done by different agencies. You could see a con- uh, an adjustment there. Um, you know, we could have an acreage adjustment down the road. There's a lot here, but I think in the near term, and I'm talking the very short term, you know, by the time we roll around Thanksgiving delivery, I, I, I would be betting dollars to donuts. We're down around 370 just because that's where we've been the last, you know, other than the July delivery. That's where we've been almost every delivery period going back to 2015. Thanks for the information, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. And that's going to do it for our midday program today, sponsored by Deveni Motors. To hear today's midday product. Midday program, and it's entirely go to podcast at krvn.com. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divini Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to Divini Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divini deal.